I made kind of a uh, fortuitous typo last week in OmniFocus. So it was um, Three Twins Cider House. Hmm. So I was adding that to the groceries project. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like ice cream flavored cider. I'm not sure really where you'd go with that, but it was, yeah, it was, it was an accidental portmanteau of um, two things that were on my mind. One of which is now defunct and the other of which is not sold anywhere I want it to, because this is, and we'll kind of get into this a little bit more, but uh, both Safeway, Trader Joe's and Whole Foods, all of which seem to carry, is it, and now, now I'm actually forgetting and this is not a bit, is it two trees cider house? Uh, no, two it, towns. It, two towns. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they all seem to carry two towns cider house, but they only carry the bad flavor, which is the Pacific pineapple. So that is readily available. And then, actually, this this will bring up to uh, this will bring up something that kind of got lost in the Slack, I think, a week ago, where uh, because I don't ever like leaving a grocery store empty-handed. Um, well, actually, that was not the only thing I was buying. That would maybe be a little bit weird, but um, I ended up picking up a six pack of is it called Easy Squeezy? I felt gross buying it. How how dare you think I would know what that is? What are you talking about? You were the one who said it's it, it's great. Like I, I posted it, and you're like, oh yeah, that's a good one. Oh 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 the the flavor of two towns. I. I was thinking you bought some like weird knockoff cider. That's what I bought. I mean, so yeah, so I bought. I don't think I tagged this with any words, so I don't know if Skype search is that the is that the raspberry lemonade one? Yeah, because I'm a sucker for raspberry lemonade stuff. You didn't like it. It was fine, but it feels like that's that's not even remotely beer or cider at that point. Like I feel it feels like one step away from White Claw, which I've still never tried. White claws are pretty good. I held <laughs> but out. You, but for... you're also a, aren't you a, uh, um, uh, what's it called? Mike's Hard Lemonade and a um, Cranberita person. Uh, I was more of a Raspberryita person, but we can get into that <laughs> later. I oh the the mango one was actually pretty good too. But no, I mean as previously discussed on the show, I've generally gotten away from that stuff and so as a result of that i for a long time resisted the white claw thing not out of any sort of just like moral righteousness or anything but just because (laughs) i don't know i felt like you know i've largely moved past that point in my life but i i did eventually try one a few months back and they're they're pretty good yeah with me it is definitely coming from an elitist perspective Mm-hmm. I would expect nothing less. <laughs> oh, how dare you? <laughs> Anyways, we're going back to uh, Three Twins Cider House. So I think this kind of this kind of gives us our second act. In case, um, since uh, we might get to it, but since we might be heading towards a second wave and uh, reclosing the economy, we are so carefully uh, and um, delicately reopening. We might need a, a um, kind of a backup plan for for uh, business strategies. So I'm thinking, you know, how kind of. Um, when celebrities get bored, they all think they should be able to have like their own premium brand of alcohol, mm-hmm. like you know, like a George Clooney and uh, the other guy. I know Aaron Paul has one. Uh, that really, the, like the annoying actor who's Deadpool, he's also got his own. Oh, Ryan Reynolds, yeah, he has a, a vodka, yeah. right? Yeah, not a fan. Um, 
but yeah, so I think that that might be our opening. We can we can kind of try to deduce and figure out what three twin cider house would be because again, I don't think I think it's one of those things where the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office kind of, as long as it's in a slightly different business, you can still use the trademark. So I think we can figure out a way to make that work. Wait, so is this is this a ice cream flavored cider or a cider flavored ice cream? Ooh, I didn't think of option two. Mm-hmm. Ooh, hold the hold the phone, sir. <laughs> um, no, because I I am into ice creams that taste like other stuff. Well, I think that's all ice cream. But <laughs> <laughs> hold on, I don't have my I don't have my show titles doc open yet. Um, but you said you were prepared this week. I have well, I, I have three other TextMate documents open. What did I say? Ice, what, ice cream. Wait, what, what about what else are you do, what else are you working on? I always have uh, I always have text docs open. Again, you probably you probably have Word and like Claris works open, so you we know how you roll. Um, a much funnier joke would have been Excel. You, you missed the missed the mark. No, no, one. because that's that's the thing where I think it was it was always very frustrating to me. Actually, no, it wasn't even Word. I think you used to like write like editing notes and show notes in pages while we were on the call, and it was very upsetting that, to me. That sounds like something stupid I would do. <laughs> All right, I appreciate that you're owning it. Um. So anyway, I think oh, that I can, might be I can, opening. So I can that, own. I can own when I'm when I'm wrong about something, as I'm as I'm sure we'll we'll get plenty into later. I thought you were about to say like, <laughs> unlike somebody else, and I. <laughs> well, yeah, unlike the current administration, yes. Oh, as long as it wasn't me, I, I think I'm very upfront about the fact that I am frequently wrong. Anyway, so I think I, I think we might uh, we can either get into our own brand of like premium alcohol, or we can maybe try to do some type of like specialty coffee brand and we can just i can just put some phil's beans out in the sun on my deck and we can just say they're like triple roasted or something we'll have our own boutique coffee brand oh man sun sun roasted coffee beans (laughs) isn't that how it works yeah that checks out okay so there's so there's one other thing because we got kind of a packed show today but i got one other thing and this was a very upsetting thing that happened um earlier today and i sent you a picture of this but i will send you another link in a in a slack dm um i could be careful it's on my oh. clipboard recently twice this week i i sent the wrong thing to the wrong person because i didn't hit command c i was gonna say it. you certainly did not send this to me i would have no, no it was in podcast ideas no and, I, and, I, and it was with the idea with the with the text oh no when did this get fda approval oh you sent this just at six twenty p.m today which i don't think i've been at the computer between then and now you were afk God. <laughs> um so yeah so i had to I, i've forgotten a couple of things on my last target run so unfortunately i have had to go grocery shopping twice in the past 10 days um but yeah so i was picking up a, a few uh six pa- uh, eight packs of spindrift and then i saw this other thing and i was unsure if this is a flavor that i that i had overlooked or because you know how target will di- diversify what flavors or varieties they carry of certain things depending on the store it's it's the same reason why the san rafael target has uh sweet potato fries as opposed to regular fries which is very upsetting Mm -hmm. but yeah they have this now and then i did some more recon on it and i sent you a link in in the slack dm oh boy so spindrift gave a press release and uh the title of the press release is uh, spindrift strikes gold with pineapple Mm. So there's a lot there's a lot going on here 
One, I did not know Spindrift was a Massachusetts-based company, so points against. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Check check the box for your um, uh, obligatory East Coast dig. Well, no, so it's it's got some, like, so again, in the pro column, Dan Morin is from Boston. In in the negative cost uh, in negative column, everybody else is from Boston, and also the Red Sox. Um, uh, but yeah, so apparently they are doing some type of well. So there's a couple things in here. I didn't actually make specific notes on it, but I'm sure I can find it. So, uh, to quote the CEO of Spindrift, Bill Creelman, uh, quote: "There has never been a sparkling water made with real pineapples, so we had no reference point for flavor." After trying pineapples from around the world, it was clear that the golden pineapple from Costa Rica was ideal. Uh Uh-huh. But, um, so apparently this is a brand new flavor as of last month. Um, and apparently they're running a sweepstakes, uh, amid all the the COVID stuff. Because, you know, you know what people love during, um, pandemics is sweepstakes. Sure. Uh, to celebrate the launch of pineapple, Spindrift is creating the golden pineapple sweepstakes. So 13 winners will score a sweet prize, including a year supply of Spindrift, which I would all be for, but I, I am not going to buy pineapple Spindrift to, to take that chance. I, and a custom Spindrift mini fridge. Like These prizes are great, but apparently you, you win by finding gilded cans in some of the uh, inaugural batch of Spindrift pineapple. So I'm not I'm not going to take the 5.99 gamble on this to hope I win a Spindrift mini fridge, but um, uh, in summation, pineapple Spindrift now is a flavor and a, and a going concern. Well, so this press release is from March 4th, so even oh, if yeah, you... it kind of got lost, what what else happened? Is is that when uh, 15 cases were going to zero? <laughs> I Fuck think him. I... <laughs> not not the CEO of Spindrift. Well, Corona talk is coming up next. So this, wow, I, I'm excited to try this flavor. Yeah, I, I, I could not even, things are tight right now. So in this economy, I am not spending $6 on a gag purchase of Spindrift. It's well, not even worth it to try one can. I'm also glad that we're, um, I'm taking notes on flavors that you don't like, which again, is going to be relevant probably for, for something that we're, we're going to get to here. Hmm. I got. I got. I got. I owe you some some cider, so I got to know what, oh, what flavor yeah, to buy. Oh, you darn right. Uh, but then the last thing about this was um, something else. Oh yeah, this this contest is uh, is uh, you are able to live in D.C. So even though they don't have statehood, you can win the Golden Spindrift contest. And there was one other thing in here which was um, uh, this jumped out to me when I was reading it earlier. Um, Oh yes, yeah. so at the very at the very end, where sorry, peaked the levels a little bit. Uh, at the very end, where it's about uh, about the company profile, uh, I did not know that the community of Spindrift fans, of which I would feel like I'm a member, uh, it's called the Drifter community, and I do not care for that name at all. <laughs> so join join the Drifter community at drinkspindrift.com. How did they not get just the regular domain? Come on, just pony up for it. Um, or, or get spindrift.fm or something who, who, whatever, make, make a podcast. It's fine. Everybody, everybody's got a podcast, uh, as evidenced here mm-hmm. and follow spindrift fresh. They don't even have, Ooh, this, this goes to something else. I'm sorry. We're all over the place this week, but, or sorry, I am 
do you advil does not have at advil on twitter who does to some dude <laughs> um, is it yeah you? so if you go to twitter.com slash advil it's some dude some dude named abdul which good on him he's an astrophotographer good for you um is it is it, is it jared huh that, that's that joke it's too much of a too much of a reference I mean, it's, it sounds like a Darth joke, but it is, it is, is, it Jared, is a Darth joke. It is a Darth Well, yeah, joke. but is, is Jared allegedly an astrophotographer? It, it, I don't, I don't want to... Carlos, you're killing me here. <laughs> anyway. Oh, here's the worst. Well, so twitter.com slash Advil. Abdul is from Boston. Okay, so now less charitable to him. <laughs> <laughs> it all comes back to Boston. <laughs> and his website is abdul.cool. So actually, that, that's kind of... A, that's you know that that's a neutral strike i don't i don't know how do we how do we not own technically correct dot cool i keep wanting to buy technically correct dot fm but it's 80 dollars a year and then i kind of think no what do we have we have dot tv right yeah which those are also kind of pricey too aren't those like 40 dollars a year well that's that's why you that's why you chip in um (laughs) when we go to uh when we go to pico so sometime in like 2026 when we can go again you can uh yeah yeah uh so anyway (laughs) twitter does not own at advil they are instead at advil relief and criminally Mm. underfollowed only sixteen thousand followers for as much pain relief as they do in the good work that they're doing (laughs) advil you know let's let's get let's uh, um signal boost at advil relief Mm-hmm. Well, anyway so are, yeah I'm, so are. i'm one of the uh founding members of the drifter community apparently even though drifters aren't those usually people who just kind of live in their car like that's kind of i don't know or or was don draper a drifter what is a drifter i'm not really sure to be honest a person who is continually moving from place to place without any fixed home or job yeah i've always thought of that as a transient anyway Okay, so that was uh, whatever that was. So, do you want to do you want to do a bit of quick Corona talk before we talk about Apple for an hour? Yeah, let's start recording. Okay, I had to double check that I was actually recording. <laughs> um, so it's been a bad week. Yeah, I feel like that goes for every week for the past three years. But and I'm you know I'm just gonna drop a marker here probably the start of a bad month or two let's say i'm thinking bad a bad five months that's probably not wrong either so um i can't remember what it was and unfortunately we're gonna gonna talk about our, our, our dumb idiot president but um i forget the original quote but it was something about along the lines of well, obviously, there's more cases. We're doing more testing. We should wind down the amount of testing we're doing. Then there would be fewer cases. And I believe that was an unironic statement. When he was joking. Hmm? He was joking. No, didn't he immediately say, no, I wasn't joking? No, but he's, he's joking, Carlos. No, that was when he told people to inject Lysol. <laughs> no, that part I'm not, I'm, I am serious about. He well, said, no, they, yeah. they, but 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 his press secretary literally said he was joking when asked about that comment. On well, yeah, head. but but she she's a horrible person who who says that he hires people who he then uh, after they've served for six months and then they are removed or uh, fired from the position. 
he says they're they're complete idiots and how can anybody hire them and uh she said that that's because he likes to foster a culture of a team of rivals uh a la uh abraham lincoln and you know i don't have doris kearns goodwin's phone number anymore uh she changed it but um yeah i feel like i want to know what her opinion is on that or whether she feels like uh, the presidency of Donald Trump is really employing a team of rivals or he's just a fucking idiot. My, my little pet theory about that. So if you, if, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but Lincoln is the only president he'll ever reference who served like before his lifetime. I, I kind of think Lincoln might be the only one who he could actually name. I bet if you asked Trump to make a list of, of U.S. presidents, that would that basically would be the list. Well, because he he remembers Obama, but again, he wasn't actually a valid president because, you know, the whole, you know. Yeah. I did see when I was out on a run a couple of days ago, there was a, and this was, again, not to give away too much in terms of OPSEC, but uh, this was in Marin County. There was a like a nondescript white van that on the back, it wasn't even in big letters. It just had Obamagate written on it. And I couldn't tell if that was a joke, but it was very weird and unsettling. Probably best you don't know. Yeah. So anyway, so yeah, we're, we're winding down testing, and apparently he actually followed up on his uh, his commitment to that, which is he um, is actually trying to remove federal funding for testing sites because if you don't test, you don't know how many cases there are. Yeah, I mean, what what, what you don't know can. <laughs> and then also, and then you can put a show a link in the show notes to this because this. I, I somebody sent this to me earlier today, and I was like, "There's no way this is real." Oh yeah, this was this was somebody somebody posted it on Twitter, and it was from Lance Bass, the other, not not that Lance Bass, not the one who wanted to go to space. Um, it was somebody who had presented somebody with a card from the FTB agency, which is apparently the Freedom to Breathe agency, which is this is not a .gov address. Uh, this is just some somebody who was able to sign up for a free trial at Wix, which is literally what it is because you can see um, the social links on the website all go to Wix, the like small business website provider. But it allows you to print out your own fake card that says you have a um, a physical or mental uh, situation that means uh, somebody asking you to wear a mask in public is... Um, discrimination under the ADA. And this is kind of the worst thing ever, but I do want people to go to the website because it's it's a ridiculous website and um every part of it is is insane from the eagle logo that looks like it could be a rejected XFL logo um to the get involved section which says we are looking for passionate people who love freedom and liberty. We especially need attorneys. Which I can't tell if, if if that's a joke, but that's just chef's kiss. I I, I hate this so much. We have, <laughs> we have to move on. Uh huh. All right. Um. So Disney World and Disneyland. Oh boy, because you know I want. I guess I want you to tee this up because I know you are more favorable, or like, or just like. I mean, you you like Disney, whereas I'm indifferent to Disney theme parks. But I think this whole case is interesting, and also, you put this in 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 the Slack where I do like that Darth made like a very salient point related to this. So I was kind of, can you just tell me what's going on here? So Disney 
uh, well, so their their international parks have been kind of opening over time for a while now. Disneyland Shanghai has been open. We talked about this on the show. Um, it opened a month, a month and a half ago. Um, and around that same time, Disney started talking about their plans for their U.S. parks. And both Disney World, which announced a little earlier, um, and then Disneyland later, um, announced that they were they were both going to be opening kind of around the the middle of July, and at least as things stand now, Disney World is still on track because evidently nothing matters in the state of Florida, and despite them being one of the growing hotspots in the country, things continue to rapidly reopen there, and you know the NBA and major league soccer and the WNBA, they're all planning on restarting their seasons there in a little over a month. So yeah, a lot of, lot to unpack with Florida. We'll have to come back to that. Well, that, that even, that precedes Corona. Fair. Uh, it's, it's, it's on brand one might say, mm -hmm. but Disneyland as of just a couple of hours ago has announced that they are pushing back their their opening date well i, sh I should rephrase well, there's this. a whole it was, lot that led up to that but it was it was presented as them pushing back their their opening date but i think if you kind of read between the lines there basically what's happening is that california was not going to approve their reopening plan with the date that they they had in mind which i think was like july 17th so um you know, we'll, we'll see what, we'll see if this ends up being just sort of a temporary delay or whether this actually ends up being kind of a, a meaningful change. Um, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm kind of of the personal opinion and I, maybe I've said this on the show before that, I mean, the idea of theme parks being open really anytime this calendar year and really maybe until there's a vaccine it just seems kind of crazy to me and i'm then i don't mean that like not everything needs to stay, to stay closed forever but theme parks just in particular seem like such a high risk place that having them be open now just really doesn't make sense to me and that's you know what darth is getting at in his tweet which we'll put in the notes as well is you know, and we, we chronicled this on the show too, Disney had a bit of special treatment, let's say, when the shutdown started. And I think he's uh, he's kind of tracking to see whether the same is going to hold true, um, you know, as things reopen here. And then the the inciting story, or at least when we, we started kind of tracking it, was that there are um, uh, widespread petitions uh, from cast members. Um, at Disney World and Disneyland, um, urging the Disney Corporation to delay reopening due to the um, um, concerning trends in terms of new cases. Right, and it's, and it's you know, I mean, this in some ways, like you know how a lot of people have been kind of um, they've been coming up with these creative terms for it, where basically, like you can sort of tell what parts of the U.S. are worst off by looking at where. Apple stores are still closed or are maybe mm -hmm. re reclosing. Kind of it's like the, the Apple store index, basically. Mm -hmm. 
the, the same is actually becoming true on a global scale with Disney's theme parks because, you know, I mentioned Shanghai is open. Um, the Disneyland Paris, I think, is opening in a couple of weeks. Same with the park in Japan. So basically places that largely have the virus truly under control are able to, you know, do things like open uh, a theme park. But in countries, you know, I don't know, such as the United States, where the virus is is by no means under control, doesn't really make sense to be opening theme parks. Well, I mean, that's kind of, well, yeah, so, so good point, or, or we're on the same wavelength with, with that, which is that, um, yeah, maybe that's going to be one of the big features of um, iOS 14 is where, like, your iPhone substitutes for functioning government, because... Like, uh, they closed all their stores in Houston and they closed 11 stores yesterday in, um, some of the hotspots in Florida and other, other states. So yeah, it is, it is weird where, um, Apple retail and, uh, Deirdre O'Brien are kind of like this, uh, surrogate CDC and state government of, of just kind of leading with responsibility there. And that's, that's kind of weird. Yeah, and that's been true since the beginning. I mean, if you remember when the shutdown first started, I, I think I Apple do. was was basically the first retailer to announce they were they were closing nationwide. And there's, you know, there there's some business realities of the fact that you know Apple doesn't rely on their physical retail presence as much as other retailers do. So you, you throw that caveat out there, but but nonetheless, um, they have shown a degree of awareness and thoughtfulness that um perhaps is maybe lacking in um in our government yeah no like like i starkly remember that where like i feel like that's kind of the and i know this is gonna sound taken out of context it's gonna sound bad but like i remember that's when it like seemed or felt real like for the first time of like oh this is actually like a legitimate or like this this could be like a very bad crisis is i remember like there was that like saturday at like 1230 in the morning where I was like sending this to, to colleagues and I put it in Slack where, yeah, like every store in the U S from Apple is closing. And there was just this kind of cascade where they were acting before government was actually, um, willing to, to go on record and kind of actually take action for this type of thing, which was very unsettling and surprising. And it's, and, it's yeah. not, I don't think it's, it's not really something to, I know you're not like beating yourself up over it, but I don't know. It, it's, it's not something even worth kind of being harsh on yourself about because I mean, the, 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 like it's, it's sort of easy now here, June 24th, having lived through three and a half months of this where, yeah, we can look back on that time and be like, Oh geez, like maybe you should have seen this earlier. I mean, everybody had their kind of like reality check moment with, you know, like me with a lot of people, I, th I think it was when the NBA season got suspended that that being a real marker or there was um, a couple of weeks prior to that, there was that episode of the daily with um, um, God, what, what's his name? Help me out here, Carlos. Don McGann. Don McGann. Thank no, you. No, Don McNeil. Don McGann is the, I know that's, that was who I, I knew I was going to get those Don two McGann is confused. the sketchy lawyer for the Trump administration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's at twelve twelve oh four a.m. on March thirteenth. Apple will be closing all of our retail stores outside of Greater China until March twenty seventh. 
Yeah. Um, oh, dear. All right. But I mean, I guess, you know, that's to, just to bring the conversation back into the present. I think that's what's even more frustrating about the current moment is that in March, I mean, there there was still plenty of jackassery, don't get me wrong, but you could better understand people's skepticism slash confusion, whatever you want to call it. But now that we've been living in this for a while and we've seen what happens when the proper precautions aren't taken, it's um, it's just extra frustrating to see the wrong decisions being made consistently. Yeah. And then just so we have time for Apple stuff, let's blow through a couple of other uh, Corona things. Uh, there, and you can throw a link, it's mostly because mostly I want you to throw a link to this in show notes, but there is a, a different petition uh, spreading around Columbus, Ohio. Um, uh, this, is, this goes hand to hand with um, the widespread activism about, around um, uh, protests for uh, racial justice and um, and against systemic racism. And this one is, this is much more of a frivolous and kind of a gag thing um, versus the actual like substantive and important stuff that's happening. But there's a fun petition uh, to rename Columbus, Ohio flavor town uh, to honor Guy Fieri. I'm, 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 where do I sign? I'm all for this. And then the obvious thing was, um, and this, this again, dovetail, dovetails onto a Darth thing, which is um, why can't we do this for uh, several other uh, sports um, locations with sports teams, such as the uh, the Cleveland, uh, so the Cleveland Browns could become the um, Flavor Town Ash Browns. It, it's really good. So I like that. And then one other thing related to uh, coronavirus stuff. Um, so we talked about my um, quarantine kitchen upgrades, and at at, uh, at length, yes. <laughs> Jeez, sorry. <laughs> no, I, I think I think the people like when we go when we go deep on this stuff. <laughs> so I had a a, a Breville six fifty XL uh, toaster oven to get rid of, and it's one of those things where I don't want to throw it away, and also it's kind of a pain in the ass to throw away, and I didn't really feel like, and it's still worth something, so I kind of don't want to just take it to electronics recycling. So I left it on Craigslist for a while, and again, as you might imagine. People during the era of the Rona not necessarily wanted to go and transact with random strangers. Sure. So it so it sat there for a while, uh, and then somebody emailed me, and then so uh, and it ended up working out. I sold it for a whopping sixty dollars, sixty American dollars. That can buy a uh, one point two Apple Watch bands. Um, and then I sent you a screenshot and uh, don't put this, I think I redacted whatever info was sensitive in there, but I think I still have the dude's phone number in there. So don't, don't post that. But I put a thing where I was texting him. Oh yeah. Because of coronavirus, can I just put it in a box outside my door and it's, and you just put the money under the mat. And then he was like, yeah, that's fine. But I felt like I'm like, this is probably how drug dealers use Venmo and like Google voice where drugs are referred to as the toaster. And the the guy he he left the money, he did leave the money. It felt low risk. I mean, honestly, who's who's going to travel all their way for a slightly high end toaster oven and then try to stiff somebody out of sixty bucks? Like it feels like that's very low risk. And honestly, 
because I was like three days away from taking it to electronics recycling, I felt <laughs> like it was a very low risk transaction, even if somebody didn't leave the money under the mat. But the, but the money was under the mat, as they say. Yeah, as as a drug dealer would say, yeah. Um, no. Wait, what? Well, didn't you say it? this was like a drug transaction? I know, but the way that was phrased, it made me sound like I'm I'm doing illicit things. I, you said it, not me. Uh, <laughs> uh, good on that anyway. guy. So I still, uh, I still have a coffee grinder that I don't really know what to do with, and um, that cyber power UPS. So that one I probably will end up taking to electronics recycling. So, all right, you want to start talking about Apple? I think we should. Okay. So I have uh, taken the liberty of kind of uh, organizing some stuff this week just because I feel like um, in the past I am generally bad at managing large events and kind of keeping track of where we don't necessarily go on weird tangents and diversions. And and that's mostly a me thing, not a you thing. So I've got it kind of structured a little bit. So let's kind of, and again, we, we unfortunately suffer from the fact that we have probably already listened to multiple hours of other people talking about this. So I do vaguely worry that we're going to rehash some of that. But I think I think we have enough original thoughts here where since we are people's only source for tech news that it's all going to work out. Right. And I think we, we disagree with... Um, oh, we most certainly of, will. Yeah, with some of our friends on Upgrade Plus and ATP. Oh, boy. Okay. So this we... So I honestly... I woke up... What What did I say? I woke up like at 7 a.m. on Sunday morning, and I think the first thing I did was open Slack and said, oh, shit, I forget it's WWDC day. Well, you, you've, well, so you're off to a bad start here. You said Sunday morning. This was Monday morning. No, no. Yeah, no. Oh, yeah. So I think I... <laughs> Correct. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll fix that in post. Don't worry. Sorry, I'm already failing my sticky note to say speak more <laughs> slowly. Um, yeah, so I woke up on Monday morning. I was like, oh, shit, it's it's WWDC keynote day. Uh, just because it's weird. It's, it's the, It was like the 22nd. I'm all I'm all out of sorts. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so it was at 10 a.m. It was live streamed with a pretty rock solid um, stream, but I guess that might be because it wasn't live, and that's that's fine. Like I'm like I'm not complaining about that, but I guess what I wanted to discuss before we get into any of the actual substance of it is that kind of what did you think of the format? Um, I definitely have thoughts about like production quality and some stylistic choices, but in general, what, what, was, what was your kind of your read on the event overall, not the content? So I, I have two main thoughts. One that's a, just kind of more general, and then one that's probably just a little more specific to me. So the more general thought is the thing that you and I kind of honed in within the first couple of minutes was us coming to this conclusion that it it felt overproduced in kind of a weird way. And I've been thinking about that more. And the the best way that I can sum it up is it felt like the whole thing was shot in front of a green screen. Even though it I, was even so though it wasn't. D- was it not? Because the part where they're in the um like what's normal where where Craig um was in what normally is the demo area of the Steve Jobs theater, that really felt like it was green screened. Or at the very least, there was a lot of like visual effects added later where he wasn't actually standing in front of like a real projection screen where most of that was added after and post. I 
think I'm and, and I'm not sure. It'd be, it'd be really interesting to see, even though I don't think we ever would. The kind of behind the scenes of that video, I, I sort of assumed that people were actually where they were being portrayed being. So you know, Tim like, I think was Tim actually was on. where he was, where he was. But the, everybody were or like in, when they were doing the car key demo in the garage. I th- I do think that was a real. No, well, no, that I I've driven I've driven by that garage. I mean that that's very much seemed like the garage that's at Apple Park. Um, you 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 pass it on the way to um down to San Jose on the yeah, 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 exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I but I think that's what it was. It it and like the fact that you and I aren't even sure, I think speaks to the fact that just that that was odd. That was an odd stylistic choice, I think. But then I guess like the the more kind of like personal thing well there's sort of like two parts to this i guess one is i i was kind of thinking it actually still would be live and that they would basically have all of the presenters at apple park and they they'd basically all be in different locations so actually kind of like what they did but that it actually would be live and in retrospect that actually was kind of that was kind of a dumb thing to think because too many people are going to have to be there and it, it's going to put people at undue risk. So that I mean, it was never going to be like live, live. It's much easier to have a controlled, safe environment doing a pre-recorded thing. So I, I felt kind of silly for even thinking that, but that, that threw me off right away was getting used to the idea that this was like a pre-recorded thing. Um, but then the, the second part of the kind of personal comment for me is, um, Tying this back to that whole, um, remember that Disney at home sing along thing? It Good felt, it, it, like, you know, Disney did that, like, oh, hey, like all our cast members and actors and stuff are at home. So, like, let's do this sing along thing on ABC. And mm-hmm. it was supposed to be this happy, upbeat thing and kind of ended up just bumming me out because it was a stark reminder that, oh, yeah, the world is bad right now and we all have to stay home. And that, Especially like at the end, that was kind of like the vibe I got from this was like, oh, oh yeah, like the the reason this the reason we're doing this is because we can't actually do a real WWDC keynote, and that's kind of a bummer. Yeah, so the, like the the very last like so they had kind of these like bizarro or like this just like these like weird like kind of depressing Twilight Zone credits, and I don't think like I'm and this is not to fault Apple at all, but. It was basically giving kind of just like adequate reassurance and disclosures that they followed all the guidance of the Santa Clara County Health Board and all this kind of stuff. And that pe- things were sanitized and people were not on unsan- like all this kind of stuff where it was like, just, Jesus, like it was, it was very, it was very well done. And, um, but it was, it was, yeah, just seeing that after like actually what was like, because that came right after, um, wrapping up what was actually a very exciting and, and interesting and very comprehensive, uh, and much more than five minutes, uh, detail the transition mm. to, um, Apple Silicon, not Silicon, Silicon. Um, but then, yeah, there was this like little credit scrolling of saying, uh, oh yeah, nobody can touch each other. And, um, yeah, Air Force One is, is, uh, in quarantine and stuff like that. So the only thing that I did like about the style, which actually didn't really occur to me until after the fact that this actually even was the case is, I'm a really big fan in movies and TV when you have the one long uninterrupted cut 
even if even if they even if it's faked like clearly this apple thing was like even if you have the illusion of it being this one long continuous take i i really like that although the the fact that i didn't really that didn't even occur to me until after the fact i guess i don't know so so i also like that quite a bit and there was also there's a movie about five years ago um i mean there several movies have done this kind of thing but there's a movie called birdman that kind of did that where the entire movie is just one long take but yeah, that movie uh, is, yeah, the whole point of it is from start to finish, it's just one long take. And like in, in The West Wing and Studio 60, which was a very flawed show, but was um, at times good, was kind of big on that of just having an entire like 90 second scene be from what the viewer's perspective is one long single take sort of. Yeah, I, I'm going to push back or to say like I didn't really care for most of the visual style of the presentation. It was just too swoopy and um dramatic and it just felt like i i think they maybe erred too far on the freedom of no longer having to do a live event and i think um and i I don't feel like searching through slack but there was a thing where i think i mentioned it as being this is too polished and that was where what i found just not really that satisfying about it because like ultimately it's it's just a way of communicating the direction of the next year of software and um, software and platform development for the company. So it doesn't actually really matter functionally how it's um, conveyed to people. And even though WWDC has become more of a consumer event, um, or at least they've had to frame it as being kind of their summer event for press and consumers and the state of the platform state of the union is where the more developer focused techie stuff happens. Um, yeah, I just, I, I don't know. Like I, I, it felt too polished and too, too fancy for me, but yeah, like it it wasn't bad. Like, but I did, I definitely lost the very small component of our bet, which was that I thought there would be some level of audience in there. And, um, no, when uh, Tim came out for the start of it, sorry, Mr. Cook came out for the start of it and kind of did his, um, his whole speech. There was not a single person in the audience. And that was, that was actually to the extent where Tim did his like opening and ending um, bookends of the the presentation. There was nobody in the audience. And that was kind of really the only time you saw what would normally have been the traditional theater stage of what most people would consider a standard um, WWDC presentation. Although putting aside the fact that a WWDC keynotes never happened in that theater, but but it, it it would have. Uh, I think I would assume it would have been in San Jose again this year. Yeah, but they closed that one coffee shop people like, so no, they weren't going to do it in San Jose anymore. <laughs> um, I, you know, they kind of did a, well, maybe, maybe it was just a fake out for me because of my expectations going into the event. But when they did the whole zoom into Apple park to start the event, it looked like they were going to focus on that big outdoor stage. And I thought, Oh, okay. Yeah. They're going to, they'll, they'll do it from out there. But, but no, that did not happen. Uh, yeah. Uh, so a couple other things. So one, uh, and I put this in the, in, in the outline as uh, Tim's running, um, which is a, uh, a call out to the, remember, remember she's running. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, it's that. It's in case the listeners didn't get the joke. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm the over explainer in chief. Yeah. It's always, always funnier when you explain it. <laughs> You're supposed <laughs> to be on my side. Um, so Tim 
and again, I, I guess this is kind of, and not to bring it back to Corona talk, but this, this is, I guess it's the leadership vacuum that we currently operate in where the fact that uh, Tim Cook came out and gave a reasonably cogent and uh, full-throated defense of kind of our current, or not, not defense, but like summation and uh, like he defined what Apple's policy and kind of social responsibility point of view is for both the current health crisis and also the current um, uh, social and, and racial justice and movement in the country. And it's it's just always weird where just hearing somebody authoritatively speak on what should be kind of some, I don't know. I, I think the leadership vacuum that is currently um, unfilled in in D.C. right now, it's just weird that anybody who speaks relatively forcefully on that seems like, I don't know. It was, it was a weird thing, but it felt like very, it was oddly comforting, even though I have many issues with Tim Cook and to how um, the um, difficult and in a lot of ways um, uh, morally and ethically flawed and contentious relationship he has with um, and this was covered in the John Dickerson interview from CBS Sunday morning where he asked him point blank of your social uh, point of view is often at odds with your relationship with the president and how do you square those things? And he gave like a whole Mitt Romney answer of, oh yeah, well we do whatever we have to do to pay the lease and taxes. And then as a ethical corporation, we do all this stuff anyway, but it, it, it was interesting to see him speak uh clearly about that where we're not really getting that leadership from other places mm -hmm. i guess is what i'm saying yes moving on um so in terms of pacing and kind of the presentation format and all that kind of stuff do you think it worked yeah i i think it did for the most part it was um i mean it was obviously because it was pre-recorded and edited it was very um uh, tight as the uh as the kids say um and yeah, there were no super long, unnecessary demos. Um, they were able to fit a ton of information in. More information than some <laughs> of us were expecting in some areas. Well, not all the information. Uh, no, true. Um, into a actually shorter than normal keynote. I think this was like was an, hour an hour 45. and 45, whereas... Um, I think last year's keynote was like well over two hours or maybe that was like two years ago. Yeah. All right. So I have this. Um, so yeah, so I, I mostly agree with that. The one thing I will point out and we'll, and we'll get to it is there's a whole lot of, <laughs> there was some stuff that seemed relatively important that they chose to leave just on slides and we'll, we'll get to that. All right. So we've broken this down kind of the way that they took it on the presentation was uh, kind of a touching on the five different platforms they own and operate. So there's iOS, iPadOS, watchOS, uh, tvOS, and then uh, OS ten. So do you just want to go in order? Let's do it. All right. iOS 14. So I guess the, the big things here were, and I'll just run through them and we'll kind of talk about whatever was interesting. So this is one of the first major changes that they've ever had to the home screen design and springboard. So what that means is that there are now... Um, widgets possible that can be embedded into the home screen itself. And there's also some differences where there's a new 
kind of rightmost home screen, which is called App Library, which is kind of like a more robust app search. There's going to be dynamically and and um, like uh, smartly created folders for recent applications, app clips, things by category, and things like that. So that just so that there's more automation and less manual tedious interaction with crafting a home screen so that was pretty neat so less excited about the widgets uh but the app library thing was interesting and then uh friend of the show Dieter Bone of the verge had a good call out so he had a um an article earlier today that i'll have a link ready for you for show notes talking about kind of how the new home screen layout works and one of the cool features that I had forgotten about this was that you can zoom out on your home screens and there's little check boxes next to them so that you can actually kind of temporarily turn off certain home screens. So like you can have a, a page just with like apps you don't really care about or the way that he framed it was that you can actually have like a page that has all the apps that you need for work. And then on the weekends, you can choose to turn that off or try to engineer some type of separation for that type of thing, which I actually thought was pretty interesting. Hmm. But yeah, so, so that's one of the big changes is that they're revamping the way the home screen works. There's widgets where, um, this proves that windows phone seven from, from 2010 had it right the whole time where Microsoft was way ahead of the game where they had a feature called live tiles where you could have an app, like take up like four times the room but show you contextual information related to that application. So we're kind of in a situation where everything that's old is new again and Apple's borrowing from other people. And this isn't like a thing to say Apple's stealing ideas, but it's like uh, Windows Phone was an operating system that ended up not being that successful, but had a lot of ideas just like WebOS that are getting incorporated into the more successful operating systems. So quick sidebar about widgets. Yeah. You know, this was not made clear during the presentation, but has come out since then. So these widgets, even though on one hand, they're more flexible than the current set of widgets we have, which are limited to that leftmost screen that's kind of left of your first home screen, basically. Um, you know, you can move them to other home screens now. As you said, you can have them be different sizes. But the big change that they're making is that you can't interact with them in any way. And I, I believe that it's come out that that's going to be the standard for all widgets, no matter where they are going forward. So if you have a widget where your user is able to basically do anything with it um, currently, like I think PCALC is a good example of this, mm. like that's no longer going to be possible it's like the i think marco on atp made this analogy which is you you basically have to start thinking of widgets now as basically just being like complications on the watch where they can show you information you can tap on them to open the full app but you can't do anything within the complication in and of itself which is which is kind of disappointing yeah, and then real quick sidebar, because this is uh, something I keep meaning to make a chef special, but I keep forgetting. The Logitech Harmony, even though I think the app itself on iOS is not is not great, it actually has a very good widget where if I just want to quickly turn off the TV or switch it from Apple TV to TiVo or, or just quickly mute the TV without having to walk across the room to get my remote, it the widget for iOS is actually very, very good. 
So that's a bummer that you're not going to be able to tap that kind of stuff anymore. I was going to say, yeah, that that is a good widget, but also a good example of something that it sounds like is not going to be possible starting in iOS 14. And then also pCalc, where it's kind of nice to have freed up a spot. Like I don't have pCalc visible on my home screen. I just have it where I can just slide down a notification center. And basically I just have like this nice, robust system-wide calculator. And it's going to be kind of a bummer to lose that as well. Right. And the, I guess the other interesting kind of in the weeds thing with widgets is they are Swift UI only. So if you want to make one of these new widgets, that has to be done. Um, in or I, I, I get I get Swift and Swift UI confused. Are are they? They're different things, right? Um, I don't know. I I don't either. But one of those two things, basically, like if you want to make a widget, it's got to be <laughs> it's got to be in Swift. Um, one of those two things. Yeah. I'm I'm not so a developer. It's in Northern and Southern California. It doesn't, it's one of them. <laughs> right. All right. Other things on iOS 14. Um, there was uh, some updates to Siri that were mainly non-updates. They were mostly graphical interface changes. So they, they were this like... Was, this was actually hugely disappointing to me because I really thought... They, they led with the visual changes. Mm-hmm. And I think I even made the snarky comment to you in real time in Slack. Something to the effect of, yeah, you know, because the visual stuff is what's wrong with Siri. Um, it would have been just an all-time incredible Apple moment if that's all they updated. But then they, they they did go on to then talk about changes they're making to Siri itself. But not really, though. Well, not really, but <laughs> but it would have been incredible if they just literally had these changes to the way the UI looked and then just moved on. Well, no, because that was the weird part where they were like, oh, yeah, we're making massive changes to Siri. And basically the summary of it was it doesn't take up the whole screen now. (laughs) And then they're like, okay, and now we also have a version of Google Translate that's probably not as good as Google Translate and works with fewer languages. Like, and again, that's that's not like hate on Apple or anything like that. But like, it's just kind of those weren't the fundamental problems with Siri and like, I guess that it is kind of convenient where, like, it's, it, and that's been one of the themes, and this will we'll kind of briefly gloss over this with the iPad OS section, where I guess Apple is making, is, is with a lot of the design changes they're making, it's, they're realizing that a lot of the devices are more functional now. So the idea of a call notification taking up the entire screen on an iPad or Siri blocking literally everything you're doing on the iPhone is maybe not that wise at this point. And, th- and those are valid things to update and that's great. But for this one, the way I just remember the way it was framed was odd. Cause that like, ultimately they're like, it, it, the series is no different other than just how you access it is slightly different. So I found that very interesting. Um, and then, so picture in picture video system wide, which is something that's been on the iPad for a while. That's, that's pretty neat. I did like the part where um, you can have a video playing and you can just kind of like uh, drag it off to the side and you can make it like an audio only stream. So sometimes there are like, like I'll have like a lecture or like some type of interview playing where I'm like, I don't actually need this to be like full screen. And I would like to like just kind of listen to this as a podcast and kind of like, and that's pretty neat. And you can do that in you YouTube if you're a YouTube premium member. So that's a feature I do use frequently but it's it'll be nice it it'll be a nice addition to have that for like safari video and things like that yeah it's not not a feature that i ever use on the ipad or i think the mac supports it too now Um, well yeah the mac is less useful just because you could just just you have a large screen so just drag your browser window into a corner or something yeah 
Um, but yeah, on the iPad, I don't, I don't really ever use it. Um, not sure I will on the iPhone either, but, but I agree with you. It seems to be super well implemented. Yeah. Uh, so a couple of the big things, um, so iMessage updates, uh, a few things. So one, you have inline threading and so this is, it's similar to like Slack threads where you can take a single message and kind of start a conversation under it. So if you're in an iMessage group thread, you can now do that, uh, which is pretty interesting. And then I not sure if I think like, I'm not a big group iMessage person. Like generally I don't go in conversations that are like more than three or four people. So I'm not necessarily, I, I don't have like a, like normally for that, I would be just, I'd use, I would have like a Slack team or I would then have like a, whatever the Cisco WebEx uh, corporate product thing we have. Um, like I generally don't have big Slack th- or big iMessage threads. So I'm not sure how useful that is to me, but I mean, it's, it, it's, Cool. I, I appreciate where they're making um, improvements to iMessage that are not like iMessage apps, like stuff where it's not where the features are actually additive versus just trying to make fetch happen with just having like a bunch of weird stuff happen inside of um, inside of an app where that's not the core function of what it is. Yeah, the, the iMessage part of these keynotes, much like the game demos, is usually the part where I'll I'll briefly tune out just because memoji and stickers and message apps and stuff is this just not not my thing but i did appreciate that this year's focus well i mean there was there was some of the memoji stuff but this year's update was much more focused on some of the more um i don't know practical type updates um to the app yeah, I mean, so like with that, you can now like, I mean, because I think everybody probably has like three or four contacts that they always want at the top. And sometimes like you don't want those drowned out by like two factor authentication codes or um, other things. So, yeah, I think being able to pin certain contacts or group message threads to the top is actually pretty smart and interesting. That was actually probably my favorite thing they announced. I, that's a total... Um total example of something that like day to day that I've experienced and is going to solve that issue where if you just, yeah, you have a day full of two factor authentication codes or little one-off messages. And then at the end of the day, you want to get back to one of your ongoing conversations. You got to scroll down and, and find it or try to use messages search function, which is, which has been historically bad, but I guess is also something they updated uh, in iOS 14. Uh, but in any case, pinning to the top is great. I think being able to label group messages is nice. Um, the The thing that I'm a little um, skeptical of with the whole threading thing is I actually do have a, a handful of group message threads that I'm regularly a part of. But I think all but one of them involve at least one Android user. And all that, all that, the threading and stuff that that all's not going to be possible there. So, so that's what they didn't necessarily talk about, which is interesting. Just because, like, if you have an iMessage or like if you have a group thread, and it involves non iPhone folks, they get it as MMS, and that does currently restrict some of the functionality that you get in an iMessage thread. So this now makes it seem like there's probably going to be more limitation, but they didn't necessarily call out and i didn't i haven't seen anybody on twitter mention that this now means like this only works if you have a purely 
iMessage siloed conversation. I don't think they were sure on ATP either, but they they were working under the assumption, which I would also work under, that something like threading is only going to work if you're exclusively within a, a group of folks who are on iMessage. Yeah. Um, so then the other two big things. So this was the the section where um, Craig <laughs> said, and I thought this was this was smart. Where because or just because if they had if they just blown through and just started talking about a bunch of stuff where very like far fewer than normal people are regularly leaving their house or um, driving places frequently. Like if they had just mentioned all these map updates and CarPlay with nothing, it would have been kind of weird. Uh, but he, he he brought up. He said, I, "He's like I forget what it was." Um, actually, no, I have. Well, nope, I have it on my desktop. Uh, he said, "Quote: Now we know that life looks very different for many of us right now, but it won't always be that way." Which I really really liked. It was just it was just very fun to, of like a ten second throwaway thing to introduce a bunch of features that are totally going to be irrelevant to people for six to twelve months at at best. But basically, what that meant was that they were talking about some updates to maps. So Apple Maps, I guess, like I think you're you you're Google Maps all the way, right? I am. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of it doesn't necessarily matter that much, but they have uh, biking directions with which uh, Google Maps has had for a long while. These actually do seem like better maps than Google Maps, or at least they've they've thoughtfully taken into account busy streets and stairs and some other things. So I actually think that that's good, and I think whatever tech companies can do to encourage responsible civic behavior is good so like more people cycling that's great but this also they'd mentioned it's kind of like transit instructions where it's very very localized so i think they said it's only to be available in the bay area new york and like one other one other place to start so i mean that's interesting um they have kind of this weird built-in local guide thing where like you can have like articles telling you like the 10 best places to go get like bubble tea or whatever I, I i have no idea but i guess that's that's a value add maybe and then the other two uh things that i did like was they had ev charging stations and in ev centric route planning which is neat and also and this this is i don't think many i don't think any u.s cities currently have this but london and some parts of china do where there's congestion pricing and congestion zones inside of cities and I don't know if Google Maps even has this, but that was a really cool feature where you can then route yourself around or factor in costs and time related to congestion pricing in certain major cities. Yeah, uh, tangentially related to the, the EV charging uh, part when they were talking about all the, the other uh, CarPlay updates, there was a stat where I think it was 98% mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. new vehicles sold have CarPlay as an option. Like, it's, seriously, it. that 2%, like a meaningful amount of that has to be Tesla. Like, uh-huh. seriously. Uh-huh. Um, it may be even close to all of that. Like, it's, it's, kind, of, um, it's kind of amazing. It's the best. I mean, granted, it, within the context of what they announced this time around like i mean i it would be cool to have carplay in my car but like the the ev charging thing is not necessary because tesla's onboard system actually already does this with both the supercharger network and third party chargers and it works super super well uh, i mean it it does a lot of smart things too which really only a built-in solution could do like it 
make sure it makes sure that your battery is at its optimal charging temperature by the time you get to your supercharger station and, and some other things. So, you know, not missing out on like that specific piece, but, um, but nonetheless, it would be cool to, to have CarPlay. Yeah. And then with that, the other uh, mobility-based feature that they had was they introduced in iOS 14, and apparently it's going to be, be uh, it's going to be backported to iOS 13.4 or something similar, where you can now do car key sharing, uh, and car key is a new NFC-based and possibly in the future U1 ultra wideband chipset and Bluetooth-based feature where you can unlock certain cars um, with your phone. And the demo they did was on a the upcoming revision to the BMW 5 Series. And it was pretty cool, I guess. Um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, okay. Fin- finish, your, yeah. finish your summary. And the, only, <laughs> the only other thing that I had in here was that... Um, they this was i think this was in a tech note it wasn't necessarily in the keynote itself but it seems like it's good do you remember when they um uh like two years ago when they mentioned that you can use nfc to pay for transit and they had the thing where even if your phone's dead like the nfc radio would kind of have your like metro card in memory right apparently that's going to work the same way for the car key where even if your phone's dead it will still be able to unlock your car for like five hours after the battery dies. So I thought that was kind of interesting. So, yeah, so I, I, I want to hear why you're, cause it sounds like you're sour on this or you're unimpressed. I want to know what's, what's, what's your, what's your read? Yeah, I, I, I am largely unimpressed by what they announced. I think car key will get to a place where it eventually is, is a pretty neat solution, but what they announced on Monday is kind of clunky. So you know, it, it it's not going to work on any car currently sold, which, while disappointing, is is somewhat understandable, I guess. But then, you know, this BMW um, car that they announced is going to support it later this year, and, and presumably, you know, a handful of other cars. They're basically going to have kind of like this crummy half-baked solution to start which is nfc based so you're still going to have to like physically take your phone out of your pocket and tap it against the side of your car or i mean maybe if it's in your pocket and your pocket happens to be like the right height of wherever the nfc reader is you could do it that way but it's a little (laughs) exactly um but you know it's not going to work like something like how um like tesla does where i mean they're just using bluetooth but you know with 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 tesla like i don't have to take my phone out of my pocket or bag or whatever i just i get close i get close to my car and it you know it works so i i thought the the thing with the tesla thing was that you had like a little nfc based credit card that you have to tap on like the side pillar of the car that's that's your backup so that's if if your phone is dead that's how you can get into the car or if you're going to like a valet only parking lot that's and you don't hand the valet your cell phone. You you hand them you hand them one of these cards. Okay. Yeah. Th- I don't. I don't want to turn this into a Tesla discussion. But is it that feels like because if it's just using rudimentary Bluetooth at that point, that feels less secure. Well, that's yeah. That's that's the thing. I mean, did Jason Snell's brought this up a handful of times. Where I guess there is there are ways where people can spoof your Bluetooth signal and then use that to gain access to to cars that use that technology. I mean. I don't hear of that being a widespread problem, but I, you know, 
yeah, I, I suppose that is one of the downsides to using Bluetooth. But, um, but in any case, you know, where Apple is going with this is utilizing the U1 chip, the, the ultra wideband chip, which is basically going to be a solution like what Tesla has, which is you don't need to take your phone out of your pocket. Your car will just be able to sense when you're close and, and unlock that way. So kind of a, I guess a more secure modern version of what Tesla's doing. So like, that's, that's cool, but like, that's, that's, a, that's going to be a ways away. And it's, it's just, it's kind of lame that the first, um, kind of wave of cars that support this is going to be just through NFC, which is, again, I, I'm kind of spoiled with like, you know, I've had ups and downs obviously with, <laughs> with my model three, but like one of the, consistent bright spots is like the way the cell phone key works is is pretty awesome um and that that seems to be kind of like where car key is going to get to but it's it's not going to be there even when it first launches so i guess this means i don't have to roll my car into the bay i don't have to feel that bad i would say not yeah and and you know the 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 whole like being able to share your car key with other people even just over like iMessage great demo really really cool demo and like they, they even you can do things like you know you can limit the speed at which that person can drive and, and and a handful of other things like cool on paper cool demo in practice hard to say how often you would use something like that yeah it feels like kind of like the august lockification of this type of thing but even way less useful and practical yeah but like you know the august thing like giving people temporary access to your home like is very much a thing. I mean, the, the number of times I've done that in the two years we've lived here is countless, but like I've never really let anybody else drive my car. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like something that would be all that useful day in and day out. All right. And then rounding out the car stuff, I forgot to mention this. So friend of the show, Joanna, everybody's a friend of the show uh joanna stern who i'm i'm dubbing tech jojo she had a uh a tweet featured on stage where uh saying that every uh having car play in a car makes it instantly like 100 times better which i thought was a pretty fun call out all right rounding out the ios stuff we have app clips which is kind of a feature that android's had for a while but just kind of like with most android things generally doesn't get widespread adoption even as like me somebody i, I have a, a google pixel and i i somewhat regularly use android i've never really come across a situation where that's actually come into play so android's version of that is called play store instant and the whole concept of this and app clips is that you can um encounter a like a link or some type of prompt where you can run uh, an app like a native application without actually having to go to the App Store or the Play Store and download and install that full application. So Apple's implementation is going to be where you can either encounter a URL, a uh, a QR code that Apple, of course, because it can't look like a QR code, looks like a nice, very pretty circular, like it looks kind of fingerprinty. I actually think, like, I actually think the design of it is kind of cute. Um, but you can either use an NFC tag or you can take a photo of that um, circular qr app clip code and that will then take you to um, kind of an on-demand application that you can run in line they've put a hard limit on how large it can be so that it loads fairly quickly and responsively 
And it's kind of just like a very, very stripped down and distilled version of your application. And their idea is that for um, kind of ephemeral and temporary use applications, like maybe like parking applications or restaurant ordering or something like maybe that's for like, um, like Disneyland or, well, not really based off our previous discussion, but, or like your needing to go place an order at Chipotle because you, you, cause you want E. coli or something. You can quickly download an app clip and then make your order and get done with it without having to remember your Apple ID password and download something from the app store and do like a whole to-do. So kind of instant apps and, and apps like this seem like a really, really smart idea. And it seems more fully baked than the Android implementation of this. And I'm actually, I'm I'm pretty excited for it. Yeah, I mean... I am too. I, I think it looks really neat, but the key is going to be what you brought up first when talking about Android, which is what the level of adoption is going to be. And there's reason to believe that it'll be quite a bit higher with with Apple. I mean, they just they have a way of having their standards be adopted. Um, but um, but we'll see. It's a, it's all going to be about who who supports this how many places support this and if a lot of places end up doing it then then yeah this is going to be a really cool thing yeah i mean and if you just think about it like think about like ferry parking like when that whole thing happened like three years ago where you needed to download an app in order to pay for parking where i assume a bunch of people were just like losing their minds over how to figure out how to do that and if there was just a thing you could scan with your phone and quickly just and that's and that's the other half of it that seemed really well designed or that kind of the whole integrated apple ecosystem made sense where with these app clips you don't have to like manually put your payment information into an app because as long as you're a good ios citizen and you integrate successfully with apple pay it can be fairly seamless so for things like a parking app that's really straightforward and easy so that was that was pretty cool right um and the last thing with that um that was kind of interesting was that they're apparently doing like reversing course on something that they really, really fought back against before, which is that they're allowing certain partners and the ones that they called out in the keynote were Yelp specifically, where they're allowing them to kind of be like a white label app creator, where somebody who's just like Joe Random Restaurant, um, like if, like let's say Blue Barn doesn't want to go through the trouble like of creating like a full on application, they can partner with yelp to create an app clip specifically for their restaurant and they have to do very very little work and they don't need somebody who actually knows how to develop or write applications in order to make that work so i thought that was actually kind of interesting um yelp not the most reputable company and like it kind of feels weird for apple to partner with them but that's 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 an interesting perspective to have like i would have figured they would have done something with like square or somebody that has um a more uh, a less problematic reputation, but um, yeah, I thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. All right, so the next two, I think we can churn through real, real fast because there was actually very little to report with iPad OS. Um, they are making it more Mac-like. Well, we'll kind of this this will be like a, a give and take type thing, but they have introduced toolbars and sidebars and a bunch of weird stuff where the iPad still, in a lot of ways, felt like a, an over like a, a just a large iPhone. They made it much more Mac-like, so that was interesting. Um, things like phone calls uh, will no longer just consume your entire screen, which feels way overdue. And then kind of the one interesting part is, you know what the Newton is, right? 
yeah, I mean that's sort of um, it's before my time We're in the terms same of age. Uh, in terms of Mac stuff. Uh, but I'm I'm vaguely aware of what it is. Yeah. Did you ever watch The Simpsons? Uh, off and on. So there's there's and you you can go find it. There's a there's a YouTube clip where basically there's a there's a the, the smart kid in The Simpsons, uh, Martin Prince, has an Apple Newton, which was Apple's kind of first attempt. So it came before the Palm Pilot and obviously well before the iPhone, where it was kind of their touchscreen and stylus based personal computer that I think was a uh, debuted in 1994, which was way 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 ahead of its time. Um, and was good in a lot of ways and was very bad and flawed in a lot of other ways. But one of the th- interesting things that it had was um, uh, handwriting recognition. And one of the jokes on The Simpsons was Martin Prince was writing, um, uh, so one of the school bullies stole his Newton, wrote, uh, beat up Martin on it, and then it translated it into eat up Martha. Anyway. It's much more funny if you watch the clip, but basically they have introduced a robust handwriting recognition system wide on uh, iPad OS, where if you have an Apple pencil and you are in a text field and you start writing something, it will just automatically transcribe it. So there's less, uh, less mode switching where you, if you're doing a pencil based thing, you don't have to do that weird, annoying thing where you just tap, tap, tap on a traditional keyboard and if you're just typing in like a google search query you can just handwrite it and in most situations it should just work out so that that was pretty neat yeah um kind of shocking how little there was on the ipad side though mm-hmm. um it, it there it, it seemed like between the renaming to ipad os last year and then the cursor support being added as part of iPadOS 13.4 earlier this year, it seemed like there was some momentum building towards the iPad continuing to be a, a bigger focus for Apple. Like I think one of the popular takes when cursor support was rolled out was, geez, Apple's, you know, rolling this out in a 13 dot, you know, or 13 point release because they just got, they have so much in store for <laughs> iPadOS 14. And that, was not a unreasonable expectation, I don't think. But I mean, now it's it's almost like you could take it completely in the opposite direction and say something to the effect of like they released cursor support when they did, so that they wouldn't have to waste time talking about the iPad during WWDC, so they could talk about all this other stuff they wanted to. Which is which is kind of harsh, but I mean, it's I don't know, it's it's kind of. Kind of how I left the presentation feeling. Well, yeah, they had to pivot so that they could do the reverse and they could make the the Mac the iPad. <laughs> All right, so well, that's actually a benefit for us. So yeah, iPad, bit of a snooze, but also as my screen time reports show, I use my iPad less than two minutes a week. So no, no worse for wear. All right, watch OS. So not a whole lot here either. So we've got complication enhancements. Um, where I guess the way they were explaining it was that you can know, like it's no longer that you only get one form of complication per complication size. Did you, do you have a better way of explaining that? So I, I actually wasn't even aware of this until they called it out during the presentation, but I guess it's the case now that 
on a single watch face, you can't have more than one complication from a single app. So like if you were, I don't know, heavy into OmniFocus or something and you wanted both one of their bigger watch complications and one of their smaller ones, you currently can't have both of those on the same watch face. Whereas now in watch OS 7, you'll be able to do, do something like that or have a watch face entirely of complications from uh, one app. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's neat. Uh, also they have introduced watch sharing. So if, <laughs> if you wanted to share your, um, your very busy watch face with me, you could easily, I message that over to me. <laughs> and then if I, if that happens to use, uh, applications that I don't have, it would prompt you to download it. So I think that's, I mean, that's, that's pretty comprehensive and, and neat. Uh, they have also, uh, added additional workouts and, uh, different ways that the sensors can be used to more accurately count calories for certain, um, less well-defined activities like dance and, uh, core training and things like that. So that's neat. And then the other, I guess the other marquee feature, which may be kind of in, um, in the days since the press conference, uh, have shown that maybe it's not as expansive as people may have hoped for. There is now sleep tracking, which they kind of um, introduced hand in hand with this kind of wind down mode that is both kind of a crossover between an iOS and a watchOS feature. Um, yeah, so apparently there's, well, I mean, there's now a rudimentary sleep tracking on the watch, but it seems like it's very basic. Which is really disappointing because the, again, talking about kind of false expectations it was sort of widely assumed that you know the reason apple was waiting so long to add sleep tracking to the apple watch is they kind of wanted to do that famous apple thing which is you know they they don't worry about being first they just kind of want to come out and and do something the best and it doesn't that doesn't really seem to be the case here like i guess from the at least the initial beta release like literally all it seems to do is like count the amount of time you're asleep and doesn't really give you many metrics beyond that um and my other really big question is like the with the whole wind down thing like is that going to be optional or if you want sleep tracking are you going to have to opt into this wind down thing too which i you know i want no part of Feels like they're probably independent, but yeah, I'm I'm not sure. Um, and then sorry, going back a second, one thing I did forget about the iPad OS that I had in my notes was, um, and I sent you over a picture of the slide. Uh, in multiple situations during the keynote, they buried kind of somewhat interesting inclusions on just that wrap up slide, where one thing that people have been clamoring for for like ten years is that you can set different browser and email default applications. And they just buried that on screen with just the summary of what the iPad features were. So, kind of interesting. Kind of makes sense. That's not something they're going to highlight on stage. But it's weird that under on during the platform State of the Union, that was one of the things they talked about in the first five minutes. Like, I, yeah, Apple has a weird relationship with that kind of stuff. Uh, but yeah, did you see anything else in uh, WatchOS seven that was interesting, or that was pretty much it? That was pretty much it. I've I've been long awaiting the sleep tracking. I I have a, a Fitbit that I've I've had 
forever. I've had it for, geez, I don't know, four or five years. And I, I really only use it for sleep tracking. And I've, I've been kind of looking forward to just starting to use my Apple watch and I'll probably still do that here, but it, it is kind of a bummer that it doesn't seem to be doing more than it is. Yeah. All right. Breezing through some super unnecessary stuff. Uh, this is kind of like miscellaneous stuff. So, uh, system wide picture in picture on Apple TV, they did uh, a very unnecessary, uh, preview of a new TV plus show that had the British dude from Mad Men in it. Um, AirPods now support a uh, better audio handoff and 5.1 audio if you have AirPods Pro. Uh, more privacy disclosures on App Store stuff. Yeah, a whole lot, of, like the kind of middle section wasn't terribly organized in a coherent way, but just a lot, just a lot of random stuff. Other than picture in picture, I'm not sure TVOS really got anything. All right. The, what people were all waiting for, the important stuff. OS 10. Mm-hmm. Okay. What's it called? You mean you mean Mac OS eleven. We'll we'll get there. <laughs> big big sir. Uh so everybody thought it was gonna be cat like something Catalina related, like that was they thought it was gonna be called Avalon or something, but yeah, so it's big sir. You know, it's an hour and a half away. Um and it's apparently like it's it's OS ten getting the iOS seven treatment. So we had talked about this where I like was this gonna be a fundamental change? And I guess maybe that's my question to you. Like, is this the iPadification of the Mac? Is this just a a new coat of paint? And I and I think you, you, I mean, we now have a better frame of reference having listened to a bunch of developers and other people talk about this. But like kind of what, what's what's your read on how fundamental or different a change this is for the Mac? Well, I think our reaction in real time during the presentation matches still how I feel now, which is when they first started talking about Big Sur, you know, they were framing it as like the biggest design change to the Mac operating system since the introduction of OS 10. And we both kind of went like, uh Oh, like here's, here's, here's where the Mac just becomes the iPad with a keyboard and mouse. And that ended up not really panning out. Like it seems like either the whole the the language around this being like the biggest redesign they've they've done in a decade. Or how long's Mac? How long's OS ten been around? Ten years? Twenty years? Twenty years? Twenty years? Two decades. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it seemed like maybe that's technically true, but. By and large, a lot of the changes they made were just kind of visual instead of functional. So, um, so I don't know. I it, it certainly, I mean, you certainly take one look at at the design here, and you immediately recognize similarities to the iPad, but they they still are very different systems. Yeah. So. I was relieved in a lot of ways. Um, this does, to me, in a lot of ways, feel like um, just mostly a fresh coat of paint or maybe more towards iOS 7 where... You remember iOS 7 was a really buggy release where basically your phone would restart twice a day up until like March? Mm-hmm. I, people, I think people give iOS 7 a pass or they just kind of forget that that stuff happened. And when the first iOS 7 beta came out, like everybody was like losing their minds of like, oh my God, this is so different and so much better. But they kind of had to walk back a lot of stuff. Like the very first releases of iOS 7 had like 
incredibly thin font weights that were borderline unreadable in, in, in a ton of situations. So I feel like, and, and Syracuse, I mentioned this on ATP, where they're probably going to have to walk back or hopefully will walk back some of the changes that he mentioned that can be remedied in accessibility, but in a lot of ways are just kind of the wrong um, defaults where he says they're not really targeting like the, the fat part of the bell curve for um, a lot of users. But overall, most of this seemed like, um, because again, this the OS X uh, Big Sur introduction happened before they talked about the Apple Silicon Max. So with this, you weren't really thinking of any of that kind of stuff. So while there may be under the hood changes, it feels like most of this is cosmetic. And it is kind of in certain ways like an iOS or iPadification of the Mac, but for the most part, it does look like they uh, were restrained and are still allowing the Mac to be the Mac and that in certain ways it can be heavy because the iOS devices are light or whatever that old saying is. Um, but a couple things that I have written down from this. So uh, when I, a win arm based Macs come out, um, I would say at least 90% chance they're going to be touchscreens. Do you agree? No, no, not at all. So look at a screenshot of uh, OS 11. The way they've redesigned all the menu bars where all the touch targets are bigger, I think that is such concrete evidence that touchscreen Macs to some degree are coming huh that's is, is that is that take out there or is that an original c gomez take here uh i mean i, I don't i don't think i'm stealing it from anybody else but I, I mean it feels really obvious like i mean just yeah like if you um i don't have a good link to this but yeah the, it, it just feels like almost everything they did was um like made it less mouse centric almost every bit like just look at the icons every every bit of it is so much more finger friendly and because otherwise what like why would you make so many of these changes i don't know i like i i'm I'm gonna go out on a limb and say a lot of this is that it is the precursor to them bringing some level of touch to the mac and i think that means that that first 13 or 14 inch macbook pro that they're going to release it is extremely likely that it's going to have some level of touchscreen support hmm okay heard it here first or maybe third who knows <laughs> um but yeah so uh, i think some of it's ugly but i don't think it's as bad as it could have been um yeah i mean i like well actually, i would say most of the icons are are pretty pretty gaudy but i'll take it i do appreciate that apple's giving any care or attention to the mac I think a lot of things, and we mentioned this in our kind of real-time chat, which is like things like Notification Center that are just so like fundamentally broken or half-assed on the Mac are probably not really going to get fixed. Um, but yeah, none of this really matters that much other than the fact that the it, it is kind of an end of the era where um, OS X is no more, and we now have, um, and I'm going to try to make this stick. It's going to be called OS 11. We're not calling it Mac OS it's um it's OS 11 OS XI <laughs> uh but the the important part is uh yeah to wrap up we have a transition from x86 and x64 Intel processors a transition that started in 2005 uh going in 2020 to Apple silicon not silicon silicon thoughts well so this part of the presentation, there was oh, 
or I mean, or so pleasing. There was there was thirty seconds here where our bet really could have gone either way. So and what was the what was the bet? So the bet was that I thought that we the Apple would would confirm the switch to ARM, but they would do so in a way where they basically just briefly mentioned it at the end and said, Hey, lots, lots more coming on this later in the year. And so, you know, the, the presentation gets kicked over to Tim and it's clear, you know, what he's about to announce. And he's, he's sort of speaking about it very generally. And I thought, (laughs) okay, actually things are looking good here, (laughs) but then he kind of kept talking (laughs) And this is where you kind of chimed in and you're like, yeah, this seems like a longer than a 30 second mention. Um, and then sure enough, the, they, this went on for, I don't know, 20 minutes or something. Um, oh, I think like 30. Yeah. As, as, uh, as John Sierkis said, if you see an original Macintosh in an Apple keynote, you know, and again, he doesn't swear, you know, shit's about to go down. Right. It's pretty good. Um, and you know they they started with a bunch of kind of the the reasons why they were making the the transition, and I think I, I sent you a comment like, well, you know, if if they don't really talk about any of their concrete transition plans, I think I still win this bet. And, and you acknowledge, like, yeah, okay, fine, that's fair. But then, of course, next came just in excruciating detail. Oh, and they just kept they just kept piling on. Where I'm like. <laughs> Because uh, because I think your your saving grace was that they're like okay well they're not going to talk about what you can develop on. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, mm-hmm. I mean no they they laid all the cards out on the table as as you're famous for saying and up the sleeve. Uh huh. And I mean talked about everything from Rosetta two to uh, universal binaries to releasing a developer transition kit which is a a Mac mini with, with an A12Z, whatever the current iPad processor is, mm-hmm. um, which, I mean, on one hand is totally not surprising because this is all basically what Apple did before with the switch to Intel, but surprising on the other hand, just because you would have thought that maybe today's Apple would have thought about the transition a bit differently but no i mean they're literally reusing the the rosetta branding they're you know using the term universal binaries again it's it's kind of deja vu in a lot of ways yeah i mean it seems like a pretty comprehensive transition so um yeah because like in advance of this somebody posted a thing on twitter where i got kind of sucked into a, a weekend rabbit hole and i watched the um the 2005 WWDC transition of when they announced the switch from PowerPC to Intel. And yeah, it's so much of it is very, very similar. And I mean, they kind of already had the script written for them of how they were going to move from one processor architecture to another. Um, so yeah, I mean, it made, it made a ton of sense. They were like super forthcoming with kind of what the timeline was going to be that they still have Intel products in the pipeline. The one, a couple of things that I did not expect them to say was one, that they tentatively, I mean, I th- I think they were only hedging in the fact that just coronavirus is kind of the the wild card, not necessarily like Apple or like development timelines themselves. But they'd mentioned that they are going to aim to have a uh, an Apple Silicon based Mac on the market before the end of the year, and that they expect the transition to take about two years. 
but that they still have Intel Macs uh, that are still great and and will definitely have good healthy margins on them uh, available for sale um, it, over the next couple of years. Yeah, it 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 it, it was. I mean, it, it was definitely of the moment, right? Like, I'm sure Apple legitimately does have a lot of uncertainty around their exact timing, but for them to basically publicly announce these plans without having specific products to announce is like, I can't really think of another moment where Apple's done that. And, you know, it's appropriate for them to do something like that for the first time, given what an unusual time we're in, but still, still kind of surprising. Yeah. And, and, and so that like, that was very similar to the, the, to the Intel transition where like the, the first Intel Mac, which was the, um, the Intel core duo based MacBook pros didn't come out until I think like six or nine months later. So they also didn't announce any type of hardware other than the, that weird, um, Pentium four based, uh, power Mac thing. Um, but yeah, I, th- I thought it was like very forthcoming and super interesting. So just want to get your take on a couple of things. So uh, their big claim to fame here was that they feel like having a system on chip where they have integrated GPUs and high efficiency and high power cores is going to give them the best of both worlds and they're going to leverage all the power of blah, 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 blah. So these are ARM processors that Apple makes and something that they excel at, but they did not mention the term ARM or anything other than uh, Apple Silicon as what as far as I can tell, it feels like placeholder branding. Like, I really don't think that's going to be the go-to-market name. So I guess what's, what are your thoughts on this placeholder name and the way that they're framing it? So in retrospect, it seems painfully obvious that of <laughs> course they were never going to refer to this as an ARM processor. And, and, and we know that because, well, we know that for two reasons. One is because... Has anybody ever thought of the iPhone as an ARM-based computer? Well, yeah, well, they, I mean, Apple literally never, never mentions the word ARM when talking about iPhone or iPad processors or uh, Apple TV processors. Any of, any of, the, any of their um, products that have these A-whatever processors in them, these Apple design processors, they never, they never refer to them as, as ARM chips. And Apple never misses the opportunity to come up with a, a clever brand name for something, which which makes the Apple Silicon thing or Silicon thing a little surprising because I agree with you. This doesn't feel like the the permanent name. Um and it so it's a it, but it's a little surprising that Apple didn't have something in place at the time they announced this, like I, I get the uncertainties around hardware production given our current moment, but branding wise, you, you could have, you could have had your final name ready in time, but this makes me think that they may end up taking the, the, um, the iPhone approach here, which is they don't necessarily want the processor to really even like the primary thing people think about like when people go in and buy the new iphone like maybe they generally know it's faster than the previous year's iphone but like they're not asking about clock speed and things like that for the processor and i I, maybe that's kind of what apple wants to get to is basically just you know here's the 
here's the mid 2023 MacBook, the 15 inch MacBook Pro. And you don't really think about like a specific processor name or anything. So I agree and disagree. Um, so I think that makes a lot of sense. I, I think Apple actually kind of does do that at the same time where they talk about, well, the new iPhone 11 Pro has the A12 Bionic, whatever, whatever. So I think they do cherish branding their computers in that way. But I do think you're right in that, it, like, let's say if you try to go price out a MacBook Air right now, even with an Air, uh, an Intel processor, they have super, super reduced how much you can change about the computer where it's basically do you want a like a 1.1 or a 1.3 gigahertz processor and do you want a one terabyte or a half terabyte ssd like they have brought it down so much where i mean you probably are right where when the first uh arm based macs come out they're gonna much more resemble ipads where you're not really picking performance characteristics you're picking memory and capacity and maybe god willing does it have cellular in it so i think you are right where there's gonna be much less emphasis on clock speeds or in the way that apple currently markets the intel processors of saying oh yeah it's 1.2 gigahertz with turbo boost up to whatever whatever and 10th generation like that's all probably going away but i still feel like they do need like kind of like some catchy brand name and i just feel like and also i just feel like they're not going to say hey this has the same processor that an ipad does that that part i think is a placeholder like i i don't i don't think you're going to see a situation where here's the new iphone and then a month later here's here's a new mac with that same processor i do think that when the first mac comes out with one of these chips it will be i don't know like an m something chip or something like that yeah, but they 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 back themselves into the corner where they you know motion coprocessors they've already burned the M name on that whole waste of space. Yeah, but how long has it been since they've mentioned one of those? They could they could easily just say, "Hey, here's the M1 processor," and nobody's going to remember the motion coprocessor thing. Yeah, fair. So yeah, so I mean that that's going to be interesting. But yeah, it, it was very surprising that they had so many demos. Um, and that they kind of, they did the whole, again, like last time, they did the whole switcheroo where, oh, hey, every demo we've been doing today has happened on a, um, uh, an ARM or on a, on a Apple developed system on a chip that's just, that flies and look at, look at these birds that aren't socially distancing or whatever joke Craig had, um, to show that, uh, Lightroom ran fine on, uh, an ARM-based processor. Um, but yeah, other than that, was there anything else related to this? So yeah, two-year transition, everything. So dev kit, that's an that's a Mac Mini. It seems like you probably won't be able to run Windows on this because even though like they, they actually made a point to mention that you can run Linux on it, that's mainly because Linux does run natively in a lot of different distributions on ARM processors. So that's not really that remarkable. Uh, and then lastly you had a good point where when they were kind of trying to sell what the appeal was of moving away from Intel processors, they showed like a nice Bezos chart of like power versus performance. <laughs> and they just had like this like weird shaded area. Like here's where we want to be. Like, of, of course, cause that's the good part of the chart. What are you even doing? Yeah. But yeah, but I thought that was a good call out. Mm -hmm. 
but yeah, it's gonna be interesting. I want to see because there's no way they're gonna crowd the iPhone event with this. So I assume there's gonna be some like late October or November event for whatever that MacBook Pro is gonna be. But yeah, I think there was a lot of good meat to go around, and it's in Apple's interest to have um, a good game plan and all those resources necessary for people to actually have native applications ready to go soon versus just having because they want Rosetta to be there for customer experience reasons but not as a crutch for developers that don't want to write the appropriate applications yeah it's it seems like the the transition's really well thought out i mean i wasn't plugged into the mac scene during the intel transition but jason snell and others have brought up the the smart point around you know pretty much everybody who's developing for the mac is is on you know xcode or apple apple um, created tools now, which I guess wasn't the case during the PowerPC to Intel transition. So because of that, it sounds like this transition should be smoother for developers and, and consequently for users. Yep. So I, I owe you a, uh, a pack of cider. You got to figure out what, uh, what flavor you like though. I'm, I, I'm glad I haven't bought it for you yet. <laughs> I just have to find some local place because I because I won't buy I won't buy booze over the internet, um, so I just have to find some place that has that um, just the tradition just apple cider. I can't oh, you you, it, like, so. you like just the regular one? Yeah, easy Got squeezy it. was fine, but I I can't rebuy something with that name. I didn't realize that's what it was called when I bought it. <laughs> All right, we are running very long. Uh, what do you got for a chef special? I got kind of a lazy one this week. Um, okay, it's fair. That air conditioner we bought is pretty great. It's um, mm-hmm. it's it's made a nice difference um, here at the Fretwell household. We like not having to worry about our room being insanely hot going to bed is super duper nice. And even though the rest of the house is exceedingly warm, it's nice to know that we'll at least go to bed in a room that's cool. So two big two big thumbs up to. Uh, that LG model whose model number I still can't remember, but I'll look up and put in the notes. Something, 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 1419 IVSM. Something like that. Yeah. All right. I have one because I am trying to be less of a lazy bum. This has been something that we've, this has been an ongoing topic here where uh, masks while exercising and running. And now that we're having kind of our uh, reemergence of coronavirus moment, uh, it seems like masks are more important than ever. So I found something that I find this is fairly flexible and not that bad while running. And I've no, I, there's no endorsement of this specific brand name, but this general concept of thing, uh, the one I linked to on Amazon that I found to be reasonably cheap, um, and does the job is the L A O K E neck gator. Anyway. It's something that you can wear while running that that is a mask that protects you from others and protects others from you and doesn't necessarily feel like you're suffocating, but actually does kind of like you can feel that it does actually capture whatever you're breathing. It does. It's not just like completely whatever the particle equivalent of being transparent is. You know what I mean? I, I have I have a couple of these um, and I actually just wore one for the first time this week and I and found it not to stay day on quite as well but i guess the the key is you have to have it over your ears as well maybe i just have a really thick head or or however you can edit that to make that sound less weird 
I, I find that it doesn't go over my ears because I, I do have it below and my power beats are doing that damn thing again where it's only one earbud, but we'll, we'll, that'll be for another week. But, um, yeah, I'm finding that they're, they can, it can go just around my neck and under my ears, but kind of over my nose. And even when I'm running at like full speed, it doesn't, it doesn't fall down. So maybe I just have a, maybe I'm, maybe I'm out of shape. Yeah. I, 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 the one time I wore mine this week when I was talking, I would find that it would kind of slip off my nose a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, and the one thing is, is that because the sun's out so late, it is nice to compare to a traditional face mask where it does kind of protect your neck a little bit. So you are less likely to get sunburned when you're running outside. That's a, a two, two for one. Mm-hmm. 